comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. And it's printed in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Es cierto que con la verdadera religión se obtienen grandes ganancias, pero solo si uno está satisfecho con lo que tiene, porque nada trajimos a este mundo y nada podemos llevarnos. Así que si tenemos ropa y comida, contentémonos, contentémonos con eso. Los que quieren enriquecerse caen en la tentación y se vuelven esclavos de sus muchos deseos. Estos afanes insensatos y dañinos hunden a la gente en la ruina y en la destrucción, porque el amor al dinero es la raíz de toda clase de males. Por codiciarlo, algunos se han desviado de la fe y han causado muchísimos sinsabores. Tú, en cambio, hombre de Dios, huye de todo esto, y esmérate en seguir la justicia y la piedad, la fe, el amor, la constancia y la humildad. Pelea la buena batalla de la fe, haz tuya la vida eterna a la que fuiste llamado, y por la cual hiciste aquella admirable declaración de fe delante de muchos testigos. Teniendo a Dios por testigo, el cual da vida a todas las cosas, y a Cristo Jesús, que dio su admirable testimonio delante de Poncio Pilato, te encargo que guardes este mandato sin mancha ni reproche hasta la venida de nuestro Señor Jesucristo, la cual Dios a su debido tiempo hará que se cumpla. Al único y bendito soberano, Rey de reyes y Señor de señores, al único inmortal, que vive en la luz inaccesible y a quien nadie ha visto ni puede ver. A él sea el honor y el poder eternamente. Amén. A los ricos de este mundo, mándales que no sean arrogantes ni, ponga, ni pongan su esperanza en las riquezas, que son tan inseguras, sino en Dios, que nos provee de todo en abundancia para que lo disfrutemos. Mándales que hagan el bien, que sean ricos en buenas obras y generosos, dispuestos a compartir lo que tienen. De este modo, atesorarán 
para sí, para sí un seguro caudal para el futuro y obtendrán la vida verdadera. Thank you, Jess and Elmer. All right, we're going to see how long this holds up here. Um, and uh, so we're going to need to pray and ask God for God's help. Let's do that. God, we need your help, not only me and my voice and my strength, but even more than that, we need spiritual help to hear from you. That our, that our ears would be open, but not just physically, spiritually. That our hearts would be receptive to be challenged and changed, to be renewed and refreshed, to be brought low, to be lifted up. You know what we need. Would you please do it with these humble, simple words, which are meant to be life-giving words, the Word of God. Speak into our lives, into our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing in our series that we've called Defensible Sins or Excusable Sins, just talking about different areas of moral failure, moral weakness that are just all too easy for us to set aside or ignore or even justify. The ones that don't normally make the list of failings that we give attention to or that we notice around us, and most especially in our own lives. And so we talked about the sin of grumbling, the sin of self-righteousness, Last week, we talked about the sin of the fear of man. Today, for simplicity's sake, you might say that we're talking about the sin of materialism. But the more I pondered that word this past week, the more I've come to conclude that it's actually not the most helpful word. I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear materialism. Maybe it's the movie Confessions of a Shopaholic. Maybe it's a person swimming in gold coins or somebody that just can't help but to put more, more stuff on their credit card. Maybe that's you, but maybe you say to yourself, that just ain't me and it just doesn't apply. In fact, I don't have a lot of stuff. I wish I had more. And yet not realizing that the passage we're looking at still might apply to you and me anyway. You see, because when the Bible talks about what you might describe as materialism, it's not just talking about spending a lot of money or having a lot of stuff as if the solution simply were about spending less and owning less and not owning as much. But rather, the Bible always talks about it as a matter of the heart. That the problem isn't just having too much or spending too much. The problem is an unhealthy, even dysfunctional relationship that we have with our material possessions and with money. A dysfunctional relationship. An unhealthy relationship. Can we start to see that? And I've got to admit to you, as I pondered this, and I was even talking to Paula about this earlier this week, so strange how I would get defensive when starting to think about this issue. 
much more so than the other things that we've been examining week to week. I don't know about you, but I can sit there and say grumbling. Ho, 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 I grumble. I, you know, I'm a grumbler, you know, I, and I need to not grumble. Or self-righteousness, and God has done so much work in my heart that I can say, look, I, I am a self-righteous person. I am changing. I still struggle with it. But by God's grace, I'm growing in that area. Or the fear of man, one of the biggest struggles in my life, pressing in on me for years and years and years, and I feel like I'm starting to grapple with it. And all these different areas, I can nod and say, yeah, that's a problem, that's trouble for me, but I think I'm growing. And you say, well, materialism... What are you talking about? Step back. We don't want to talk about that. And we get defensive, don't we? Or at least I do. And I wonder if it's partly because relative to these other areas of weakness, this is such an unexamined part of our lives. In fact, so many of us don't even really see this as part of our spiritual matrix, part of what it means to follow God or to know Jesus Christ, or the ways in which we take our money and our physical possessions and we so privatize them. We say, hands off, back off. You can talk about other parts of my life, but not this here. What right do you have to tell me what I can have or buy? Well, here we are. We're going to look at it. And my voice is already going, so I'm going to edit this a lot and keep this short and just open it up for questions. So let's do this. We're going to talk about the blessing of stuff. We're going to talk about the dangers of stuff. And then we're going to talk about a healthy embrace of stuff, what we find in this passage. This passage, which actually is written... Partly, as the Apostle Paul is countering false teachers in the Christian community who've started exploiting the gospel and the church for material gain. And here Paul is instructing people on the right relationship one ought to have with material stuff. So first, briefly, the blessing of stuff. Friends, do you know that material possessions are actually good? Intrinsically good, given to you by God as a gift. Second half, half of verse 17, you notice Paul says, Command those who are rich, what? To put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The Bible actually has a very high and very positive view of the stuff of this world. Because as we find in Genesis 1, that all things that were made were made by God, and He declared and pronounced over all of them that they were and still are what? Good. And then He commands the human race to take the raw materials of the earth and to use their human creativity and their God-given abilities to create and to develop technology and products and culture and stuff that you can purchase and own and rejoice in. This is so different 
from other spiritualities or wrong views of Christianity that believe that the problem with materialism is that stuff, our possessions themselves, are inherently bad or evil. Here Paul tells us, no, they are dangerous in some ways because they're so powerful, but in and of themselves, they are good. And not just to be good, not just good, but to be embraced and enjoyed by those who truly know them as coming from the hands, the gracious hands of God. If I could just pause here and say, as we talk about a renewed and a healthy relationship with our material possessions and our money, some of you... For some of you, the most radical application walking home for you today will be to go home and enjoy a physical blessing that you have in your life that you just have not been allowing yourself to enjoy. To enjoy it as a gift from God and to not resist it out of guilt Or out of a wrong-headed notion that that thing is a curse or a burden to your soul. Do you realize, friends, that you can be just as much of a slave to your possessions if you're sitting at home unable to enjoy it as you might be if you're a slave that's got too tight a grip on it? We'll talk a little bit more about that idea when we talk about Thanksgiving. The Bible has a high view of our material possessions, but it also does talk about the dangers of our stuff as well. Yes, stuff is good, but at the same time, the Bible does give us a lot of warnings about the spiritual dangers of possessions and of money. The reason for this is simply this. Because our material possessions and our money so very easily start to serve as subtle substitutes of God in our lives. The ways in which we start to turn to our possessions to give to us and to be for us what God alone was meant to be and give to us. We see this in the language that Paul uses all throughout this passage. In verse 9, the way he talks about people who want to get rich and fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. There are people who want to get rich. Paul actually uses a very strong word for wanting. It's a committed desire. It's a determined wanting. You don't just desire it. You need it. You demand it in your life. Oh, the important exercise of starting to evaluate when our desires, our our, I want to have, start to drift and become my, our need to have in our lives. Or in verse 10, 
One of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Not the money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of our stuff. The way in which we develop emotional and psychological and even personal attachments to our stuff. When our possessions start to become our BFFs. Our place of solace and comfort. Things that people were meant to be in our lives. That what the love of God itself was meant to be in our lives. And then, of course, in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Not to put their hope in wealth, in stuff, but to put their hope in God. In other words, to stop putting into these things, into our money, into our possessions, what we were only meant to sink our roots into in God Himself. And just think about all the different ways in which we do this. The way we look to our stuff to make us feel significant and glorious. The way we look at them to give us status. I remember the very first time that I finally purchased a Blackberry. How good I felt about myself. It's sort of embarrassing. I finally crossed over into the smartphone world. Late, because I'm a slow adopter of technology. I just am. I don't know what it is. But not only now am I tech savvy, but I'm also a Blackberry road warrior. And able to finally be one of these Washington, D.C. folks that can walk the streets and take care of business and talk to eight people at the same time and pay attention to nobody. I want to be like that. Finally, I was. And it's such a small thing, right? But a little gadget that can start to make me feel more significant, more important. Make me feel like I belong or the ways in which we turn to a hobby or an activity to define who we are as a person. The way that we look at our possessions to symbolize so much about ourselves. We say, if I have X, then I know I will have finally arrived. What is that for you? That thing you're pining after. The thing that you just are aching because you lack in your life. When I finally get it, then I will have finally arrived the way we look to our stuff to protect us whether if it's our homes or the locations of where we live protecting us from a dangerous environment or maybe protecting us from uncertainty we see this again in verse 17 where paul says don't put your hope in stuff which is so uncertain giving us a false sense of security, an unpredictable future, or the way in which we look to our possessions to protect us from inconvenience and discomfort. So much of ourselves, stuff, stuff, we have to protect us from having to feel a little bit out of whack or a little bit inconvenienced, a little bit uncomfortable. Like my diaper genie, this incredible invention that sits in the second room of our house that Elena sleeps in, which really is just a deluxe trash can 
which we got as a gift, but that thing I cling to for dear life. Because this is the thing that not only allows me to change Elena's diapers more efficiently, but to keep our house smelling fresh. Well, in fact, it doesn't. And this is how you start to know when you're clinging a little too tightly to your thing. And it's this. I walk into the room the other day and I sniff the room. My goodness, is Elena going to hear this several years down the road and get embarrassed? The room's not smelling so fresh and you just don't know how annoyed I'm getting. The diaper genie is not working. This is this thing. You press the pedal, you you plop the dirty diaper in and it puts it down the chute and eventually you get this long sausage-like looking thing with all the diapers all together. It's glorious, guys. You just don't understand. It's wonderful instead of just throwing a dirty diaper in the trash can, right? It ain't working, and I'm getting so mad at this thing. It's not giving me the comfort that it promised. It's not giving me the convenience that it promised. And I was thinking about this, realizing this, how much of the things that I spend my money on is spent simply out of desiring and sometimes even lusting after a more convenient life. It's not wrong, obviously, to go out to eat, but is there such thing as overspending and going out to eat simply because I don't want to be troubled with the trouble of making food or getting up? Or maybe my schedule is busy. Friends, understand, I'm not absolutizing any of these issues. We have to evaluate our own lives, but these are real issues. The ways we look to stuff to make us feel alive. Man... Isn't that what's behind sometimes some of us always needing to buy new stuff? Because we want to feel new. Or maybe you just have this nagging sense of boredom in your life. And maybe you don't want to put it this way. Or maybe you do, but you just buy these things for entertainment to distract us or to turn our attention away from our boredom. Or the way that we look to our stuff to make us feel desirable or attractive whether to a person romantically, a potential suitor, or to a colleague, or to someone that we're longing for acceptance or approval from. I was noticing this one in my life. Friends, I love to buy books. You're like, what a nerd. No, I love buying books. It's one of the things that I can most easily let my money and possessions flow towards. It's mindless, and that's the problem. Because one of the best diagnostics for all this stuff is where does your money most easily, most subconsciously, most thoughtlessly flow towards? And usually that starts to show you what you might be making a God in your life. And what books do for me, which Amazon makes all too easy to purchase because you just click and it just has all your information, you know, in there and all. I love the reputation and a feeling of being knowledgeable. I love the feeling that I'm on top of what's out there. I love the feeling of knowing a lot of stuff and being able to give people a lot of answers. And this is behind a little bit. Again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with books. They're a blessing. They do a lot of good in my life, personally and in ministry and in work and everything. But what are the ways we make or look to our stuff to make ourselves feel Attractive, where all of our possessions pile up as an altar to the functional gods in our life. What is it for you, friends? What is it that drives your so-called materialism? Having too much or clinging too tightly or maybe not having a whole lot at all but desiring it too badly. Do you see this, friends? 
that the issue is not just how much you have. It's not just a problem for those who have a lot or have much money. It's also a problem for those who don't have but really, really want it. As Paul says in the second half, verse 10, some people who have a lot of money, no, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many graves. You can have little and be enslaved. You can have very little and still be enslaved to your stuff. Or you can have a lot and absolutely be free from the love of stuff. If we understand this, then we can all say with good, humble, communal confidence, we all have a problem with this, don't we? We all do, in some measure, in some way. And praise God, the beginnings of our renewal of our hearts and changing this is starting to see that all, see all that God has promised to be for us in Jesus. The God of great riches who has poured into our lives all that we need so that we don't need to be turning to our junk, even our good junk, to give us what God himself alone can give to us. Protection and significance and glory and approval and acceptance and intimacy and beauty and all these things that we're trying to milk out of our gadgets and our money and our possessions and our homes and our guitars and our artwork and our vacations and our foods and our meals and whatever it might be that we make into God's in our lives. If we would see the God who truly saves, we wouldn't look to our stuff and say, you must save me. If we start to see the God who, in Jesus on the cross, the one who was infinitely powerful, and eternally significant in this middle paragraph of our passage, reminding us that blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that this God made himself utterly unprotected and vulnerable and utterly insignificant. This God who was infinitely beautiful, who lives in unapproachable light, who made himself infinitely ugly in the sight of God bearing our sin. This God who made, who was limitless, alone, immortal, made himself limited, even dieable, mortal, on the cross. This God who possessed all things and yet relinquished it all so that through him we might be rich, protected, and significant, and glorious, and loved and powerful, and spiritually rich. Would we see this in what God offers us in Jesus? Maybe, just maybe, we'll start to have a new relationship with our stuff, which I want to talk about to close with in our third piece here. A healthy embrace of our stuff. Let me just give you three, what we might consider practices or practical disciplines that we need to engage in to grow. And no, not budgeting, And no, not exercising more self-control, though those things might help. But let me give you three quick things. Thanksgiving, simplicity, and generosity. Practices, practical disciplines that we need. Number one, 
thanksgiving. Again, verse 17, God has given us everything for our enjoyment. Nothing disconnects an unhealthy relationship to our possessions like saying thank you to God for them. You say, why? That just sounds too simple. And the reason for that is this. First of all, saying thank you to God guards us from idolatry because when I thank God for this thing, I'm acknowledging that He is the one that gave it to me and I'm not mistaking the Creator for the created thing. When I say, God, thank you for this iPod or thank you for this meal, I'm saying to God, this meal is not my God. You are my God. And this meal comes from you. My iPod, which saves me from my boredom, is not the main thing that gives me pleasure in my heart and life. You are my God. But secondly, saying thank you to God reminds me that all that I have is not from me. It's a gift. It's a gift. And what happens here is we start to shift our mentality from an idea of a right to stuff or a right to own things or a demand of stuff or things or what I deserve to a sense of a gift. God has graciously given these things to me. I don't deserve them, but they are a blessing in my life. The habit and the discipline of acknowledging again and again that what I have comes from God. It's not a necessity in life, a lot of these things. But they are wonderful blessings as comforts and sometimes even luxuries. The discipline of thanksgiving takes us in the direction of what Paul calls contentment. Where we re-examine our must-haves and start to settle into the things that we do in fact Need, And this takes us to the idea of simplicity. Friends, because a lot of the reason why we have an unhealthy attachment to stuff is because we're not even aware of all that we have and the way that it's functioning in our lives. When we look at what Paul says in verse 6 and 7, he says this, We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. But notice that Paul in verse 17 doesn't instruct the rich. He doesn't say, get rid of all of your stuff. He says, have a healthier relationship with your stuff. In other words, he's not saying that everyone needs to give themselves to voluntary poverty, owning nothing at all, but rather he calls us to what you might call gospel simplicity. This is an invitation to radically rethink our normal standards of our standards of living. Which so often, if we're admitting it to ourselves, are defined by things outside of Scripture and the Christian community. Where maybe, just maybe, Paul is calling us, the Gospel calls us, to spend much less than what the world might tell us we need in order to be happy and sufficient in life. And here's an important principle of simplicity. That generally speaking, Christians that take what the Bible says seriously about our possessions... In other words, if we're actually giving all that we're called to give to other people with generosity, 
living self-sacrificial lives, being open-handed in the things that we have as being a gift from God and not being a right that we have, if Christians really start to do that, then we also ought to find ourselves not maximizing our full spending potential in every way because you're actually giving a lot of your stuff away. In other words, that you might actually find yourself not living as extravagantly as you might possibly be able to in which your peer group might also be willing to because you are living in balance Not only rightly owning and enjoying things, but also giving away and sharing, which takes us to the third practice, which is generosity. Not just thanksgiving and not just simplicity, but generosity. We see this in verse 18. Paul says, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. It's just this idea That God does give our stuff to us for our enjoyment. Don't lose sight of that point. But he also gives us our stuff in order to give. You get in order to give. A blessing to you in your life in order to be a blessing to others. In sharing your possessions, in sharing your life, in hospitality, in generosity in care and in relationships, not just throwing things at people, but as a part of giving your whole life to one another, whether in the community of faith or outside of it, to neighbors, to strangers, and even to enemies. That if we take seriously what Paul, who follows upon what Jesus says, who follows upon all the laws and commandments and the ethos of the Old Testament for centuries and centuries and centuries, if we took seriously this radical call to give, friends, I think it would start to tug on us to start to live a little bit more simply. It just would. It's a risky thought to actually take it seriously. But let me ask you this. In your pursuit of things, or in your daydreaming about possessions, how much time and space do you give to thinking about wanting things simply for the sake of being able to serve others with them? So not just wanting things for yourself, but desiring and maybe even praying for and maybe even pursuing a certain kind of house or apartment or a certain kind of refrigerator with a certain kind of food, or a certain kind of gadget or a certain kind of backpack full of things that maybe you carry around with yourself, or a certain kind of lifestyle that you want to invite people into so that all these things exist in your life in part to give and to share and to love. To be a blessing because this is a part of why God has given us the stuff that we have. He calls us to thanksgiving, to simplicity, but also to generosity. These things, friends, can't be done apart from community. We're so deceived in this, right? It's why we don't like to talk about it. It's why we do need people in our lives actually giving us input on what we have. We don't do this normally, do we? We need to do this in community. And to have other people's hearts and people that you trust 
helping you to sift through your financial priorities and your possessional priorities. To call you onto this call of being generous in your life. Not in a weirdly judgmental or self-righteous sort of way, but a humble sort of way that says we all need help because we're all prone to unhealthy ways of owning stuff. But there is hope, a healthy way, a healthy embrace, which is what God calls us to. Let's pray. God, we ask for your spirit in these matters because we need your help. We need your wisdom. We need insight into our lives. And we're so thankful, God. We're so thankful for the wisdom you give us here. And we pray that you would encourage our hearts, that you wouldn't motivate us by guilt, but you would motivate us by love and curiosity and wonder and worship and gratitude to you for all of your generosity to us in our lives. God, thank you for our stuff. Thank you most of all for Jesus who surrendered all things for our sake. And so in response, we want to surrender all to you. For Jesus' glory. Amen. Let's all stand together.